0: Hello, I'm Matt Baume, and welcome to The Sewers of Paris. We're on a podcast search for the entertainment that changed the lives of queer people. On this week's episode, The Breakfast Club and Adult Entertainment. My guest this week is Lane V. Rogers, who splits his time between posting videos on YouTube, streaming on Twitch, posting nudes on OnlyFans, and getting a degree in business, all of which would be a tremendous surprise to him just a few years ago. When he graduated from high school, Lane realized that he had spent so much time rebelling that he hadn't developed any interests or plans or goals for his life. He found himself adrift and aimless and working a dead-end job, and might still be there today if not for a lucky discovery of a VHS tape at a thrift shop. We'll have that conversation in a minute. First, a reminder to check out my YouTube channel where I post videos about queer pop culture. And you can also head over to my Patreon to watch hours of bonus videos featuring stories of TV and film history. And check out my cute little newsletter where I share sneak peeks at what I'm working on at mattbaum.com. And a big thanks to everyone who supports The Sewers of Paris at patreon.com slash And to everybody who's left a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now, here's my conversation with Lane. Well, this week I'm speaking with Lane Rogers. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Matt. This is awesome.
0: So what is the entertainment that changed your life?
1: You know, I have to say that the film The Breakfast Club really was probably when I was about 18, 19. So just after high school, watching that film Mm -hmm. um, gave me a lot of perspective on what that high school experience that, that I had had was really about. And I could see a little bit of myself in each of the characters. I felt a bit like an amalgamation of those characters rather than any individual one. So I always really liked that. And as I've grown older, you know, you start to almost identify more with the adult characters like, hey, these kids should behave. You know? <laughs> so it, it's been very intense in my life um, in terms of its impact. I used to, we, uh, and uh, this is when I was like totally flat broke, I was um, sharing a studio apartment with my friend and we had VHSs. Because we were pretty broken and VHSs you could buy at Goodwill for like a dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got all these old movies: Die Hard, and and The Breakfast Club, and the old Star Wars, and all all these. We would, I would, we would straight up sometimes watch Breakfast Club two or three times in a row. Oh wow,
0: you just like watch and then rewind and watch yes. again.
1: Yes, and the break was during the rewind process because it was a VHS. Mm-hmm. You know. So you would watch the movie and then it would be like oh, okay we're gonna rewind it and that's when you would like go to the bathroom and get more snacks and all of it so it was it was uh, I I really loved that movie
0: <laughs> do you remember how you came across it because it, I think it, it probably came out before you were born right
1: definitely came out before I was born uh, yeah I, like I said we were really broken so we were at goodwill originally there to buy books because books are even cheaper there at least they were then I think they were straight up like 2550 cents a pop you know so we were there and they just happened to have an old VHS, a VCR, and these VHSs. And I think the the VCR was probably – oh, gosh. I, I don't know how much the VCR was. I remember it was a bit of a splurge for us, but we split it. And then they had all these VHSs, and we just bought a couple. you know, I think probably five because that was probably like five bucks. Mm-hmm. And just went back, and we were like, heck, yeah, we'll watch these movies. And you know, you watch a movie two or three times in a row in a day. You really get to know that movie.
0: Sure. Yeah. I imagine you would. So, for someone who's not familiar, like, what, how, how would you describe the film? Like, if you're trying to sell it to somebody, like, oh, why yeah. they should see it?
1: Like- well, The Breakfast Club represents the high school experience for the average American. and And I think in a really more accurate way than I think, you know, modern interpretations of that high school experience do. You know, I think modern ones are obviously I mean, they're modern. I mean, like kids have iPhones and they have you know, they have home issues and some shows nowadays get really good about being honest and intense about these experiences of these high schoolers, which are sometimes very adult and they're they're going through very intense traumas and very intense experiences at these young ages and and we see that in today's films. But what I think the Breakfast Club show specifically is a really really raw and a really raw emotional experience of these students, you know, Um, one of the students, the rebel, I think, I mean, they, they they have names, but they also like the, the characters have their own sort of nicknames, you know, but Mm -hmm. Judd Nelson's character, John Bender, he, you know, has this very troubled home life. And that's actually the reason, you know, that he acts in this rebellious way. Right. And we learn this about him over time and that, You know, the reason that he's actually trying to get – they're all at at, uh, detention on a Saturday. The reason he's trying to get detention is just to get away from his home life. It's actually better for him to be in detention at high school and, you know, have this horrible reputation at his high school but be in a place that is – have a reason to to leave his, his tumultuous home life. Um And what really is revealed about the film, what I think, again, is is just so honest about the film, about the American teenage experience, especially for that era. I think it was built for that era, for that 80s era. But I think you can – it's still applicable. um, Is, you know, that all these kids actually have troubled home lives for different reasons. And it it may not always be physical abuse, but that, you know – There's actually a lot of weight in the non-physical abuse that some of these kids suffer, like the nerd, you know, who's expected to get perfect grades. And, you know, we see in the beginning of the film his interaction with his mother where she's like berating him like this is the last time we ever do this, the first time or the last time we do this, you know. And Mm -hmm. um, these other experiences of these students um, and that one of them is there and she didn't even have detention. You know, she's there because she's so lonely and that's the real tr- truth of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the rawness of that American teenage experience, especially for the era, but also in a timeless fashion is what makes that film so special and really such a such a hit.
0: Yeah. Did you identify with any of them in particular? Like, were there aspects that you are like, oh, yeah, that's that's really real or I recognize that or that's either me or that's somebody that I know?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in each of them, you know, I, I really felt a, a little piece of each, you know, because the, you know, they have all these different experiences, uh, you know, uh, that are very different from each other, but are very, I think, true. And I took a little bit from each of them, you know, like uh, the popular girl has these experiences of peer pressure, you know, and other students may not know what that's like, because they're not in this like built up position that she is and it that there's actually, there's a sense of ease about being the popular girl, but there's also a sense of pressure. And that that's something that I think a lot of people identify with, even in whatever social spheres that they exist in. So I really liked that the jock you know he really is making all of his decisions to gain the approval of his father you know and Mm -hmm. when he fails to gain that approval he like hates himself you know um and i think again on a less intense level all of these obviously are dramatized characters right so that feeling maybe not as intensely you know what i mean is what i'm what i think i can identify with from from that character Uh, others, it's like another, and then, you know, he actually has something in common with the nerd character who also feels like his performance, though not athletically, rather academically is tied to his self-worth. And I, I feel like I identify with both of those that my athletic performance and my academic performance, you know, were, were incontrovertibly linked to my self-worth, which was like super unhealthy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, because it was like, then you're really attaching a score to yourself, and that's not good because, like, really, the score could always be higher. You know, um, right. besides if you get a hundred on a test, but you know, you could score twenty points in a in a football game, or you could score forty points. So it's like, you know, what is perfection there? It's like it's it's an ex, it's a, a expectation you can't ever meet. You know, it's chasing the purple dragon of of um of that type. So the and then. John, coming from an abusive household, you know, I think everybody wants to get out of their house. Again, his is a dramatized case, and there are a lot of abused kids who do use things in the, in the school system to be able to have escapes from, from tumultuous home lives. So I think that character is just really important for everybody to get to experience and realize that, like, this is really happening to certain people, um, and we should be conscientious of that when when we decide how we're going to treat people. Um, so, I, I really love from each character in the basket case, you know, she's just She's just, she just dreams from running away from home and just be, having a different life and not being who she is because, you know, she didn't like choose to be who she is. She just is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that self awareness of that character I really always identified with. Like, she's just interested in observing the world and being who she wants to be. And she's tired of like any expectations, you know, any expectations mm-hmm. at all. How did people
0: react when you, when you told them that you were watching The Breakfast Club like three times a day? Like what did Ugh. people think of that?
1: <laughs> well, I was so broke then I couldn't pay attention. So it was nice to really have something that I felt like I was learning about and I was engaging my brain and I was observing this film. Because, you know, you watch a film one time, you enjoy it. And maybe subconsciously some of those messages get inside. But when you watch it two or three times, you start to go, hey, look at the way he did that look at the emotion on the on the actor's face as he hears the sentence from that adult, you know, that's like disparaging and a put down, and it's like, oh no, you're just recreating what I experienced at home, you know? So I think back then a lot of people maybe saw it as, you know, because like I, when I was living in this studio, I was not in the best time of my life, and, and I was coming out of an even worse time, and I, I think the people in my life were probably like, hey, it's something positive, you know what I mean? Like, it's something positive that, that he's doing, and it's like, you know if i'm if i'm staying in and i'm watching a movie 3 times in a row i'm not out getting in trouble kind of thing you know what i mean
0: what kind of trouble were you getting in
1: oh gosh lots of trouble back well before then before then lots of trouble you know i had lots of trouble in high school i really did i had probably the most in common with the criminal john bender yeah you said terms. that
0: there were like you identify you, you did like sports and academic stuff and you felt like the pressure there but there was also like the criminal character that that you identified with. So he's, he's super different. Like what was the, what was your high school experience like?
1: Well, I do think that, you know, John Bender, AKA the criminal, I think he sees the bullshit in the world. He's aware enough because he's been treated because of the abuse that he suffers at home has a self-awareness about the world that the other kids just don't. Right. And we see that in the scene where he shows the cigar burn to the other student who doesn't believe him that, that he's being abused, you know, and decides to call him out on that, which is of course a mistake. And then he sees the scar and they all kind of realize like, oh, he's going through something way bigger than what we're going through. Mm-hmm. And, um, what's interesting is, you know, it's the only time that that character actually uses that as, as his armor. And he's like, so you guys don't know what the fuck I'm going through, you know, or, or some, something to that effect. And. It makes all the other students think like again like there's more to this person than we realize so what i really identify with that character though is how he could see the arbitrariness of the rules that were being created he's like well that doesn't make sense and he would question the teacher and you know and it was you know it's like in a in a place of learning like a school the idea that asking questions about the systems that we experience is troublesome or rebellious i identified with because i did i said this doesn't make sense and it was like you were being troublesome and it's like well i'm not saying you have to change it i'm saying you should at least acknowledge that this doesn't work you know that the system does not work and like you know should be changed uh and you can't even get that so i also you know i was smoking a lot of weed in high school and stuff mm-hmm. and i was just experiencing new things so I was just I was just troublesome and uh, you know the principals knew my name and I would get suspended for one thing or the next and and I I often you know it was it, it, I didn't care about getting suspended because I didn't at that point in my life I so vehemently disagreed with the rules that I didn't care if I got in trouble if I broke them because it's like, well, that rule means nothing to me. So this consequence means nothing to me.
0: So did that start at some particular point that you were like questioning things and you were rule breaker? Like, did you used to be like the good kid? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say that that started for me probably middle school to tell you the absolute truth, because I was, I was just able to like, some things happened in my life that it was just like, oh, oh, I, I, th- I feel like I was just able to for the first time realize that like, oh, everything's not really what it seems and not necessarily in a bad way, you know, um, it was just like, there might be a little bit of uh, I might have some misconceptions about things, you know, I might, I might.
0: Like, like what? World, what kind of misconceptions?
1: Uh, like that the world just might be a little more arbitrary. Than I had thought you know I think previously I had thought in my life that things were were the way that they were for good reason you know and, and finding out that some things were not done for good reason but just just you know I, I always hated as a kid when, when it was somebody would be like oh I right, do this and I would be like why and like the worst thing I think you can ever tell a kid is because I said so mm-hmm. and that to me was, I was just like, that's arbitrary. That doesn't make sense. That's not like, that's not, that's not good enough. You know, was really, I mean, really what, what came to my mind was like, that's not good enough what you're saying to me right now. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would really fight back against that. I would not accept that. Um, and it, that got me in trouble because when you ask questions like that and, and question the nature of like, okay, you're saying this, but why? And I, I just noticed the frustration of the adults around me when I would ask that and how they would treat me differently and treat me negatively. So, you know, that made me be like, all right, well then, I'm going to buck this system even more, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that's something that I've heard from a lot of folks, particularly queer people who grow up and, and get to a point where they realize like, Oh boy, this world in some way is not made for me. You might not know exactly how or why, but it feels like, uh, something, something isn't right about what I'm hearing about what to expect as an adult. Like this doesn't seem like it's, it's quite right. Like, it,
1: up. <laughs>
0: when you got through high school, what were you like, what kind of prospects did you have and, and what were you anticipating you know going going into from from that point like after you're past the the breakfast club era
1: oh yeah well the breakfast club era for me happened right after high school Mm. and it it really allowed me to reflect on that time in high school and realize like hey you know what these other you know some of the other characters who are like oh they don't like this system either but they realize they're not going to be in it forever Mm. you know uh i couldn't feel that it just felt like it was not going to end so i was just like i have to just buck this like super hard to get distance from it not really realizing i didn't I could actually could have, you know, probably been much more patient, you know, mm-hmm. and now I can be much more patient if it's like something I don't like I, I'm much. It's much easier for me to be like, OK, yeah, well, we're going to get through this. It's going to be fine.
0: Yeah. Where did you like where actually where were you growing up and, and where did you go after high school?
1: Mm, I grew up in Lexington and Versailles, Kentucky. Uh, which is where i live now again and i'm going to university here now but uh yeah out of high school i didn't go to university i didn't even apply for college Mm -hmm. um i really didn't know what i wanted to do i just knew that i didn't like what i was experiencing but i didn't feel like there was anything necessarily that i could like effectively do about it and it was just like all right we'll just suck it up and deal with it you know and gosh, I hated that. I'll tell you the truth and so for a while, I was just kind of going through the world and I think I was spending a lot of that time and especially the time that I was watching the breakfast club a lot, doing a lot of reflection on the period of my life before that period i felt I felt like I was really um between two periods during that time.
0: yeah, it sounds like high school gave you something to react against and then. Once you're out of that, it's like, all right, well, now you're on your own. It's up to you, and you're yeah. like, wait, what do I do? So, what? Yeah. Like, it sounds like the the, the movies Breakfast Club and, and whatever else you had on VHS kind of gave you some inspiration. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and also I just had nothing but time on my hands at mm-hmm. that time. So, because I wasn't going to college, and I, I mean, I was working a job, but you know, this was this was years, years ago. It's like 2014, 13, you know, 13, especially. Uh, the later part of 2013, because I would have graduated in May of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, so that right there was where uh, I started to have sort of, again, the, I guess the, the, the time on my hands to have that reflection period, you know, and, and have that mm-hmm. reflection period. And then after that, I was able to after that, I was able to move forward past that really tumultuous high school period because of that reflection and it took a long it it took a while i mean it took a while for me to get to the point where i was like uh where i wanted to do something other than nothing you know where i was like oh you know what the world's not perfect but it's still worth interacting with you know it's still worth trying to do things and and, and i really went through like I, I guess a really cynical phase honestly hmm
0: Yeah. So what did you want to do? I I, I imagine like maybe getting away from Kentucky might have been one of them.
1: Yeah. uh, I think I wanted to definitely travel. Uh, I didn't hate Kentucky. I just, you know, being broke here is, I mean, being broke anywhere sucks. But when you're broke in a place that's like everybody else is kind of also, you know, it's not like the richest state in the nation. Mm -hmm. It's different, you know? So uh, yeah, I definitely felt like there might be better opportunities or other opportunities for me somewhere else. So I wanted to pursue that in a big way. That was kind of important to me. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to, what I was going to do. I mean, I just didn't feel like I wanted to go to college. I didn't feel like that was going to do much for me. Um, I just didn't know what the heck I was going to do. So for a long time, I don't feel like I was really thinking about doing Anything. I mean I just wasn't. I just was kind of like in this I mean limbo period really.
0: Yeah, it sounds sorta of like graduating high school and then still being stuck in detention.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a great that's a great way to put it. So very true.
0: Did you have interests? Like stuff that you at least enjoyed?
1: Well, I really started to enjoy movies and, and T V and that got me into, you know, something that I had done previously, like in in late middle school and early high school, but not in later high school, which was which is acting, which is something I always wanted to pursue. And so I started thinking about that. Uh, and I started thinking about going out west. And I started thinking about how I could do that. And how would that work? And could I do it? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, But I didn't really end up going for it because I just did not. At that time, my confidence was really just so low. And I realized how important that was to being able to be successful, like having confidence. For the most part, I didn't feel like doing much. I didn't. I, I just was still. I was just getting sort of the cold in the fire again.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think, like what was, what was standing in the way of the confidence then?
1: Probably um, just the failures that I had experienced in, in high school.
0: Yeah. I mean, that has a way of sort of like cascading where you're like, you know, if you're hard on yourself for one thing, then it just kind of turns into a story that you keep telling yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly.
0: What, I mean, did you, were you able to move past that and, and find some confidence?
1: yeah I was uh and definitely through some unconventional means uh and I just sort of I found a different path, and when I found that path, I was able to realize that I could do more than I had previously previously thought.
0: do you want to talk about the unconventional means
1: um yeah, I ended up going into uh the adult film industry.
0: How did, that, how did that come to you as like an opportunity?
1: Um, that came to me as an opportunity when I was working at a 24-hour diner in Lexington. And I met some people that enabled me to get connected to that world. And once I got online and sort of in front of an audience, then I was able uh, to really go beyond and, and do more.
0: Yeah. I imagine, um, there was probably a lot of, uh, a- a- approval <laughs> that you were getting from, from that kind of work.
1: Yeah. Well, and also just, uh, the finances of being able to, um, you know, once I, I, and being able to make money while still in Lexington, you know, paying like next to nothing for rent, I think like 300 bucks at that point <laughs> really enabled me to like eventually go to, you know, go, go to California and go beyond and, and do some things I haven't done before. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I saw somebody writing, uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago about how they'd done a lot of work and got to therapy and done all this like personal reflection. Uh, and they were like, but you know, there's, there's just no therapy or, you know, personal work that can compete with not having to worry about money as much as I did when I was, you know, at my brokest. Um, and so yeah, you don't
1: have time to worry about other stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really true. I mean, I was talking about this recently. You do not have the mental time to think about and people are like, Oh, you could do this. You have all this free time. I'm like, listen, I'm trying to fucking just figure out how the hell the bills are going to get paid. I don't have time to think about other opportunities in my life. Like, mm-hmm.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're really like paycheck to paycheck. And so like, how, how can you be like, well, I want to develop this career path when you're like, you know, laying awake at night, wondering how you're going to keep the lights on.
1: Yeah. And so once I was able to get some, you know, some money, it's like, Oh, now it's like literally your mind is free freed up to think mm-hmm. so it's definitely something that's like they're tied together and and that's what i realized is what it enabled me to do was have the mental um freedom i mean the mental freedom in my mind to be able to do something that, that i really wouldn't have ever thought of doing it wasn't definitely like the first thing in my mind but that in realizing that you know Getting out of the box on in that way was actually the key to that, uh, and they were connected in a way that you can't really predict. Mm-hmm. You know, like when again, when you're really broke, you can't think about. I, I mean, really anything else. I mean, like you just cannot think about anything else.
0: When you were when you're doing like adult performing, did you enjoy the work?
1: There were times when it was really amazing, and there were times when it was it's okay um and there were times when I hated it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it really has to do with where I was at how I felt about myself was really way more a part of whether or not that went well you know or I felt good about it that actually was the, the big thing is like whether I felt good about it was um where am I at with how I feel about myself.
0: Yeah. So you said that, uh, that enabled you to go to California. How did you, how did you find it, you know, living on the West coast and what did you think of, you know, did that, did that give you sort of a, a kick towards what you would want to do, you know, beyond that in your life?
1: Yeah. Living on the West coast definitely made me realize that there was a lot more I wanted to do, um, in entertainment at large, uh, especially like on a behind the scenes level. Uh, and of course, like the weather is so good out there, but it, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, out in, in the West right now, I just have no desire to live there right now. Um, I think when the pandemic really abates and like that economy really starts to become thriving in the way that it was when I like moved there, I think I'll want to live there again. But right now it's it's not really great living in, in L.A. We just moved out of there, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm more interested in New York actually than LA right now to which is interesting because it's like a lot of people do that, right? They, they go to LA and then they're like, Oh, I want to go to New York or New Yorkers are like, I want to go to LA.
0: Right. Yeah. Everybody's like, well, some someplace else, someplace else is going to have something good. Yeah.
1: For me. It's like literally like grass is greener kind of thing. Um, mm. but I, I, visit, uh, uh, different cities. Um, and to tell you the truth, there's, pl- I, I want to live like there's all these places I want to live. It's really, it's really tricky. Um, because I, like part of me wants to like go live in Montana. But I have no reason to live in Montana other than like it's a beautiful place to live. You know, like like so I have to think about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, you know, you might not need any other reason to to want to live someplace. If it's beautiful, that that sounds like a reason to me.
1: I know. I know. I know, but I I keep thinking I'm like what the heck am I going to do? Like, you know, what am I gonna <laughs> I mean, that do? is a question. I think I would just leave all the time to go other places. And that's that's mm-hmm. what I realized. I don't want to live in a place that I don't want or not that I don't want to, but that that I have to leave all the time to travel to other places, you know, mm-hmm. it's like nobody, no, and nobody comes to visit you if you live in a place like Montana, unfortunately. Sure, Yeah. You know what I mean? People don't come. So, um, and understandably enough, it's fine.
0: What did you find, um, you know, as you got out of Kentucky uh, that you were finding a better community? Like, did you find, you know, feel like you fit in with, with the people that you were encountering more?
1: Well, I, you know, no, not really. Cause I always really loved Kentucky. I still, I obviously I moved back there back here. So um, I really love it. And, And I never really disliked it either. I think what I really liked was just expanding my network, not finding different people, but more people, you know. And obviously they were different also, but you know, just just expanding my network. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I hate everybody in Kentucky, and I want to. It's like not that, not true at all. I I really I love everybody in Kentucky. That's why I love living here. Um, and like the community here is small but strong.
0: And yeah, like, what are your experiences with, if any, with, with the gay community in, in where you are now?
1: Um, yeah, well, it's a pretty, pretty small community. I am somewhat well known, I would say, uh, you know, when I go out and such, uh, which is fun. But yeah, like a lot of people know each other. We, we stick together. Uh, there's obviously people who, there's drama every now and then, I'm sure. I haven't really experienced that, to tell you the truth. Because, again, the, the the community is so so small, it's like, well, you kind of need to make up with people if you – But also, <laughs> sure. in, in a place like Kentucky, you're actually kind of not that likely to run into someone you don't like because it's – people are very spread out. It's not like living in New York or L.A. where you might really run into them on the streets.
0: What At what, at what point did you feel comfortable coming
1: out? Um, I was outed in high school, actually. Oh. Um, yeah, so I didn't really have a positive experience with that uh but my plan was to come out <laughs> in college
0: <laughs> mm. okay, so somebody kind of took that away from you
1: yeah yeah that's that's exactly what happened, and you know i don't I don't hate that person or anything. I wish they hadn't done that, you know, but I can't control it, so I just have to i have to work with with the world as it as it as I have to experience it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not always. Amazing, but um, it is what it is. Let's say la you.
0: you know that is one thing about like Breakfast Club and and John Hughes films of the eighties that I kind of miss when I when I watch them is that it wasn't really you know it's just nobody was putting gay characters in teen dramas back then. Mm-mm. So you kind of have to imagine it, like or. Mm-hmm you have to
1: you have to ascribe it to the character rather than the character Mm -hmm. being that way um i feel that i i I feel that because you know i think like i i actually being bisexual i ascribe bisexuality to characters i'm like yeah john bender gives like he would let you suck his dick vibes you know what i mean like (laughs) (laughs) like gives you that like uh that dl kind of guy vibes um and i think that's not I think that's why it's so important that we see these openly gay characters now, because I think ascribing that meaning to people is not healthy. You know, it's more important that those people are visible.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, coming from a uh, decade when, you know, I, I grew up on movies like that and, you know, I'm very used to, it's just sort of accepted that like, well, if you want to see anything queer in this movie, you just got to make it up in your head. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's, yep. it's, it's, it's crazy. Kind of, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can't like point at the movie. To somebody else and, and be like, hey, look at that queer character there, because they'll be like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, especially if they are themselves straight.
0: Right, right. And it just never even occurred to them that that might be an option.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and why would it? I mean, that's their experience of the world, you know, and if that character is not clearly gay to them, they're not going to necessarily... See it with if you don't point it out to them.
0: Yeah. D- did you have other films like that you got on VHS that you found yourself studying as intensely?
1: You know, not quite as intensely, but I do still have a lot of those VHS. I got to dig them out. You know, now they're like hiding somewhere, you know, deep buried. Mm-hmm. I have to get those out, but uh, no, it's really like Breakfast Club sticks out to me so, so much.
0: Do you find that um, you identify with different characters now than, than you used to?
1: Yeah, I think I, now as a college student, I identify much more with uh, the nerd character. I'm really trying to get this 4.0 for the semesters. You know, I don't think (laughs) I'm going to, but it's okay. I accept that. What are you studying? Uh, I'm studying business, but I'm taking all my core classes this year. So uh, I'm taking, like, an anthropology class, and I'm taking... another humanities class, science class. And then like next semester I have to take a math and a Mm. writing class, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all these like core class. I think I have to take an art class next semester too. Mm.
0: What made you want to go into business?
1: Basically I realized I'd been running a business for the, you know, six, seven years that I was in the adult industry. I just was the business, you know, I was self-employed and Mm -hmm. I, uh, I realized there's a bigger business model at play there, uh, that I want to explore. So, I needed education to be able to, to take the knowledge that I had in the real world and apply it to some academic knowledge and be able to do something a little bigger than myself. I hope.
0: So when you were performing, it sounds like you saw opportunities to grow like as a business, but you just didn't have like the, you know, the formal training to, you know, what, what yeah, actually like, is How do
1: it? I do this? Yeah. It's like, like, how do I turn this idea in my head into a viable business model? You know what I mean? And not just like, Oh, I sold something and I made some money off, but it. it's like, how do you make an actual business out of it? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the question I really have gotten to.
0: What sort of like do, do you feel like you have got a passion now, or like you know, either either a passion for business or, or or for performing, or like what kind of business do you see yourself growing once you've got the the training? You that know,
1: you, you know, I don't want to give away my best <laughs> ideas, but I well, just just definitely keep an eye out for it because like in the next couple of years, probably three or four years it'll be coming out. It's going to be really cool. I'll tell you that much. And I think it's, I really want to offer something. It's not that that's like meaningful. So that's kind of like what drives my, my purpose behind what I'm trying to do is, uh, that what I do is, is meaningful, um, to people and that it it has a positive influence on the world. I think that's what I, I look for a lot.
0: Yeah. I was actually, I was about to ask, like, you know, meaningful for an audience is different than meaningful for you. So, so what's meaningful for you, but having, having a positive impact. Oh, I, mean, I that think sounds, helping people
1: is yeah. really critical. Um, I think having a role that allows for people to really advance themselves, you know, I think there's plenty of companies that make money off of people, clients or whatever, and they offer them a service or something, but I think, The ideology behind that is incorrect. I don't necessarily agree with that. And I think the ideology should be not how can I help you so that I can make money, but like, how can I help you and then you make money? And then I do well as a result of you making money, you know, and and, and really making it much more holistic.
0: Sure. Do you want to stay in performing? Because I, I know you're you're doing a lot of like, you're on Twitch doing like live streams and stuff like that. Is Do you, do you still like being in front of the camera?
1: I, I do like being in front of the camera. I'm very interested in multimedia. I'm very interested in how people use multiple media sources um, to get their messaging across and how to do that the most effective way.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny to hear you say that because, um, you know, when I was going to school in the early two thousands, um, it was very much about like, you know, then we called it like transmedia or, you know, stuff that, that bridged, you know, back then it was, it was still a lot of analog stuff. Yeah.
1: TV uh, and, and mm-hmm. movies, right. S-
0: streaming just didn't exist. Um, yeah. But now like there's so many opportunities and the barrier. So, so low to, to, for you know, people to get into it, mm-hmm. uh, what tell tell me about the you know the I don't know if performing is exactly the right kind of way to talk about it, but the the way that you make yourself available to an audience, like what do you what kind of work are you doing now?
1: Uh, I'm doing Twitch still. I need to redo my my school schedule for next semester because right now I'm only able to stream once a week on Wednesdays at about uh, four p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. But uh, I also post YouTube videos on my YouTube channel. Uh, which has also been more challenging since school started. I uh, have my Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I finally started a website. So I'm trying to get my own, you know, I'm I'm using myself as the test case for a lot of the stuff that I want to do in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of, um, you know, when you're posting on YouTube and, and stuff like that, like what are, you, what are you putting out into the world right now?
1: Um, I'm doing a lot of vlogging. I'm showing a lot of people the kind of person that I am because I think, uh, a lot of people, you know, even adult people uh, like, like as in the adult industry who are doing stuff like YouTube or Twitch, they're still trying to bring an adult aspect to it. And I think that's that's fine and that, that's cool too. But what I want to do personally is to bring this non-adult aspect to it. So people are going to be like, oh, wow, I really actually relate to this guy. And the only, you know, big quote-unquote difference is that he does this – specific job right which i obviously you know as a viewer enjoy otherwise they wouldn't be there probably Mm -hmm. um but also expanding my audience to people who are finding me from non-adult ways and being like oh and then you know because i've realized when i meet people through that first i tend to be humanized and less objectified in their eyes already because they're like oh i know this guy oh and you do that oh that's interesting you know it's like it becomes i think a little harder for people to be like to judge someone that when, once you've kind of gotten to know them. Hmm.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and I, I, I definitely think that there's a kind of a barrier to reaching people when you're in an industry that a lot of those platforms want to uh, suppress.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Have you found yourself like learning from the, uh, from school? Like, is there stuff that you're picking up? I know you're still like, it's new and you're just doing like kind of the general courses now, but is there stuff that you're applying to?
1: I feel like, um, a lot of the knowledge is stuff that I kind of knew. Um one of my classes, a gender and women's studies class, we're talking about queer theory and things that like I see because I'm in the queer world, but that is taking that knowledge for me to another level. And I think that helps me interact with the audience around me because it makes me more conscientious of like, hey, wait a minute. Like am I saying you know, when when I'm saying like hello to my audience. And I'm saying like, hello, ladies and gentlemen, am I leaving people out when I'm saying that? And how could I, well, what's a way that would be super easy to me, you know, mm. to change the way that I speak to people so that I can make sure that I'm more inclusive of every person.
0: I'm so curious about what you're learning in a queer theory class. Cause I mean, that's kind of a, a world that I'm swimming in right now, but I also took, you know, I was, I took queer theory classes in 2001 and I'm so curious about like what yeah, that looks like a, now
1: it's a gender roman studies class so it's not specifically queer theory we're just covering queer theory in the Mm -hmm. class so we really have mostly touched on queer theory it's not focused on that um so we've touched on it as a tenet of the class as a whole uh and how these identities of of certain individuals intersect to create the people that we view in the world around us and how we perceive those people why we perceive those people that way how we can um, perceived in possibly different ways as well.
0: I mean, th- it, could you imagine like the person that you were in, in high school? It sounds like was pretty frustrated um, talking about like academic work uh, without level of enthusiasm back then.
1: Uh, I would literally already be asleep <laughs> through halfway through that last sentence I just said. <laughs> so um, what?
0: Like what? What do you put that down to? Like why? Why such a change? The stuff that used to bore you, like now you're. Yeah. You're spending money to spend time with
1: it's true, it's true. uh ten years helps um mm-hmm. ten years definitely helps. I just became much more interested in in learning again, and I think it started during the pandemic when I started really reading books again because um, I like many adults were was just not reading that much before the pandemic, and then you know you're stuck inside. it's like I've watched everything on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, all right, well, let's go back to the old school and read some books. So I read some old classics. Uh, I read a couple Tom Clancy novels, and then I started really getting into nonfiction. And I realized I was much more captivated by nonfiction than I was by fiction books. And I think that's what really led me to being like, you know what? I think I'd, I think I'd really like to get specialized in something. Like I was reading books on race and, um, and also on career theory, and and I was just like, I want to learn more about this. I want to expand my knowledge base. In a in a way that's purposeful, because when you when you just read a book on something, you know you're seeing a single perspective outside of a context, you know. Uh, and if you already know that context, then reading that book is obviously it's helpful regardless. But if you know that context, it it's even better. So I just knew that if I was learning, you know, from a person with a lesson plan who had a target in mind with the class, et cetera, et cetera, that I would be able to take the things that I wanted to learn about learn about them most effectively and really be a more complete individual.
0: Do you remember the books that you were reading? Like what were the, what were the topics that you found maybe to your surprise were drawing in?
1: Um, I was reading a lot of books on race, um, uh, like me and white supremacy is a, is a book that I'm still currently reading. Um, there was a book called why are all the black kids sitting together at the cafeteria that I really, really enjoyed mm-hmm. called, uh, or by Dr. Beverly Tatum. She's a fantastic author. She's written several books. Um, and as an excellent social theorist, um, so that those those two I, I could definitely recommend for sure. That that um, stuck out to me, and I really enjoyed.
0: If you had seen The Breakfast Club when you were in high school, do you think it would have changed anything for you?
1: Oh gosh, you know, part of me hates this question because it fills me with this "what if" kind of place, and I don't think that's really like a healthy place to be. But if I had to say so for one, I would say it's impossible to know, but for two, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think I would say, I hope so. You know, I would hope that a younger version of me would be able to see it. Why, you know, cause what I had trouble with at the time was seeing the situation while I was experiencing, it. you mm-hmm. know, it was bef- at the time I couldn't, I couldn't observe the experience until it was over. Uh, and that limited me on my abilities.
0: Sure. Yeah. That it's, it's, tough to reflect on things while you're like in the middle of them. It's easy to look back. Yeah. If you could give advice to that version of you, what, what would your advice be?
1: Sit down, shut up and get through it. I mean, that (laughs) seems kind of harsh, honestly, when I really think about it, but at the same time, in a big way, that's, that's how I feel. And what I wish I could tell myself is like, Hey, get it together. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like not even get it together, but just like, actually, I, I, I I, I, it would be impossible to say succinctly in one sentence what I would be able to say to myself that would be effective enough, you know? I don't think saying, like, it'll be okay would be that helpful. I don't think that saying it'll all be okay in the end would actually be that helpful, you know? Um, I, I would need to have an entire conversation, I mean, at least several hours, you know, with myself to be able to even convince myself to listen to me. Probably, I mean, at the mm-hmm. time. So it's so that question is so, so tricky, and in some ways kind of uh, dangerous because it opens the door to like shoulda, woulda, coulda a lot. I think.
0: Yeah, but you know, I think the thing that you said, like, even if you wouldn't have believed it, it's gonna be okay. Like, it, it is that how like you would sum things up now? Like, do you feel like oh things things actually are okay now?
1: Yeah, and and realizing that even in bad situations that I have now, you know, usually things turn out relatively all right, you know, and, and stuff might suck for a while, but it really sucks forever.
0: <laughs> That's encouraging. So yeah. if, if, so if folks want to uh, check out what you're doing online now, I know like it's, it's limited with school, but where, where can they find you online?
1: Uh, you can find everything that I do at lane V uh, And lane V Rogers is my username on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find me that way on YouTube and on Twitch. I have my Uh, schedule available on twitch for when i am online Uh, if you turn notifications on then you'll get to see the times that sometimes i get on spontaneously so it's always good Mm -hmm. to have the notifications on uh i don't mob people with notifications so um uh would love for people to be able to 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 feel like they can come and join in with the party we have a good time there we have a great community uh i feel very lucky with the community that i have uh and i love that we're adding to that community so Uh, love to, to have more people join us if they want to.
0: That sounds great. Well, Lane, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Matt.
0: Thanks to Lane for joining me, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to everyone who makes The Sewers of Paris possible on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash Baum to support the show and get backer rewards, like stickers in the mail and exclusive bonus videos. Check out my YouTube for deep dives into queer pop culture history at youtube.com slash Baum and my newsletter at mattbaum.com The theme song for The Sewers of Paris is Parisian from filmmusic.io by Kevin McCloud of incomptech.com, lessons under creative commons by attribution4.0, and until next time, croissant.